from Hollywood, I'm Martin Grove, welcoming you to our Screen Dollars podcast, Box Office Autopsy. In today's conversation, we'll look at the marketplace and analyze how things are going and where they're going. Joining me on the line now is Screen Dollars box office guru, Dick Walsh. Between Dick's career in exhibition, including as film chairman of AMC Entertainment, and my own days talking about movies on CNN, Entertainment Tonight, and as a Hollywood Reporter columnist, we've logged nearly a hundred years in Hollywood. That doesn't mean we're always right, but we've definitely got a few opinions to share. Dick, here we are, the start of another month, the opening of another Marvel movie, and some big numbers to talk about. $71 million at the domestic box office for Marvel's Eternals through Disney at uh, almost 4,100 theaters. What do you think? I think it's a good number. I don't think it's a great number. Uh, I was hoping for more around 85 a million dollars, and uh, I think there's a couple of things going on in the marketplace that are uh, holding the numbers down. Well, what could those things be? <laughs> well, uh, now that you ask, uh, I think there's uh, the Rotten Tomatoes at uh, 47% fresh, uh, the lowest rated Marvel's movie of all time. I think that held some of the Marvel fans back. And then this is the fourth Marvel title in four months, and I think there's some Marvel fatigue setting in. Well, you know, you and I agree almost all the time, so every once in a while it's probably good if we don't. I just want to say, I think this movie is pretty much review-proof. Yes, it was 47% rotten, really rotten, the critics hated it, but the audience score on Rotten Tomatoes was 81%. So, I don't know, we had 81%, how bad can word of mouth be? Now, uh, who knows, the more people who see it, maybe they start not to like it, maybe... uh, I don't think they read the reviews. Uh, I'm seeing comments around the media here that uh, uh, this is a movie that's review-proof, as as Marvel movies usually are, but... But uh, but look, uh, the, a lot of people like it. Now, uh, China China doesn't like it. They're not even playing this movie. Uh, they're, they're unhappy with the director, Chloe Zhao. Uh, she, uh, some years ago, had some things to say on social media that they have not forgotten and they didn't like then and they don't like now. However, uh, China may not like uh, Joey, uh, Chloe Zhao, but uh, Angelina Jolie, who is one of the stars of Eternals, certainly does. Here she is talking about how great it was to work with Chloe Zhao. I had a great experience with Chloe. Um, She's, it's a huge undertaking. And having directed films myself, nothing like this. I, it's a, it's not an easy job. And I really thought often I didn't understand how she was managing all of it because it is, it's such, it's, one of the biggest films ever in the time span, 
in the creation of 10 different um, new superheroes with 10 different backstories with thousands of years in history and but also all the nuance of and then for the Marvel fans and tying the all of it together and then leading us forward and it was such a puzzle um I think I think we see something special in that she's somebody who loves cinema and she's a real intimacy with the audience with the way she brings forward the the film and she shares and she opens up in the way she shoots but also she's a fan of the MCU and she loves all of it and I think you can feel that and I think that made her very special for this because she brought both the part of her that's a fan and also the part of her that is just this extraordinarily deep filmmaker that works um, in a very intimate way. And that was Angelina Jolie. She had a good experience making the movies. She's one of the entirely new group of uh, Marvel superheroes in Eternals. And uh, Dick, internationally, this picture did do much better than it did domestically. It did almost $91 million in 46 uh, key territories around the world. And that brought the international cube to approximately $162 million. And that is very much in line with uh, some of the past Marvel films. Guardians of the Galaxy, the uh, original one, was $164 million opening weekend uh, uh, globally. Ant-Man and the Wasp was $167 million, just a little bit uh, ahead there. So uh, not, a, not a terrible start. But, uh, but look, uh, you and I will keep an eye on it. I, one thing I did want to ask you is the running time here is two hours and 37 minutes. What does that mean? Well, it, it means, once again, they've lost the showtime. Uh, in, instead of having uh, four showtimes in an IMAX auditorium, a two-hour runtime would have given it five showtimes in an IMAX auditorium. And that begins to add up over the course of a weekend and, of course, on the total run of the picture. So, uh, again, I guess they had an awful lot to unload in this first uh, Eternals uh, episode, but it may have cost them at the box office. Well, you see, here we are agreeing finally again. I, I, I'm with you there. I, I think it was a big mistake to run that long. People don't want to sit that long in a movie theater or probably anywhere else for that matter. But look, one positive here is that it's not day and date streaming. Uh, they, they, of course, did not put this on Disney Plus day and date. And uh, that, I think, is a big advantage. Uh, are we in agreement on that? Oh, yes. And, and you know, arguing over the success of the $71 million picture shows just how far we've come. So uh, I'm, I'm grateful for the $71 million. Still left feeling that it could have done better. And it, it's going to hold pretty well. The, the competition in the upcoming weeks is not as strong as it is during the summer. So this picture is going to hold in there. Yes, and while Eternals has legs, let's look back at some of the other Marvel films. This is the third month where Marvel has started the month with a uh, movie that's done big box office. Uh, in September, it was, of course, Disney Marvel's Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings, open to over $75 million, and globally, to date, it has done almost $424 million. 
Then, in October, Sony and Marvel brought out Venom, Let There Be Carnage. That opened to $90 million, and so far it's done about $425 million uh, globally. So, certainly uh, uh, hefty numbers uh, worldwide for Marvel. And I want to ask you about December, because I think there's another Marvel uh, hit on the horizon there. Well, uh, they're going to come to, to bat with the next uh, version of Spider-Man, and, uh, you know, the anticipa- anticipation of this picture is exceedingly strong. Trailer views are over like a half a billion on the picture. So uh, Marvel may have stumbled just ever so briefly here, and they will have a very strong picture in December. Well, yes, Spider-Man No Way Home, which is opening December 17th, and that one's coming out through Sony. Uh, That is the the buzz for the holiday season, that this is going to be the biggest picture of the holiday season. There are a lot of uh, strong movies that are going to contribute to the box office at, at Disney and 20th, have uh, Steven Spielberg's West Side Story. Warner Brothers has The Matrix uh, Resurrections. Uh, uh, these pictures are, are, are definitely going to be uh, uh, box office hits. But the big one, the one that uh, is the brand name and that people are, are likely to run to, uh, is the new uh, version of Spidey. So uh, we'll have to see. But but look, uh, even though all things Marvel are uh, big at the box office, there was another opening, another uh, semi-wide opening this weekend, and that was from the independent distributor Neon. It's the R-rated awards contender biodrama Spencer. It stars Kristen Stewart as the late Princess Diana, and it opened eighth at almost a thousand theaters to two million two. Uh, the media buzz had been two to three million dollars. Uh, this is the kind of small film that does take a while and uh, uh, to uh, you know to find its audience, and that audience is an older audience. So uh, that, that's not the easiest thing in the uh, specialty market today, is it? No, not not at all. And uh, the specialty market is is trying to come back. We've had three or four pictures in the last few weeks, last night in Soho, an example from last week, this week, uh, Spencer. It seems like they're having trouble getting the double digits on an opening weekend. Well, it's it's hard to get that adult audience, but uh, but look, the, the media buzz, uh, particularly for Kristen Stewart, uh, is very strong. Let's uh, actually listen uh, in on a scene from Spencer to kind of uh, give a, a sense of what it's about. This particular scene involves uh, Princess Diana arriving very, very late at Queen Elizabeth's Sandringham Estate for Christmas festivities. So here we are. Your Royal Highness. Mommy. <laughs> family are all gathered in the drawing room. They are waiting. Three days. That's it. They're getting quite serious about you. So stand very still and smile a lot. They know everything. They don't. to make you so sad. Well, here, in this house, there is no future. Past and the present are the same thing. 
And that's a scene from Spencer with Princess Diana for Christmas festivities that weren't so festive that year. Uh, but again, Christian Stewart is, uh, when you look at the uh, lists of potential Oscar contenders, she is at the top of the Oscar Best Actress race list. So uh, look, it's early in the awards season. It's hard to stay there, and particularly hard if you're the front runner. but I think she is the front runner. so uh, we'll have to see uh, where it goes. But again, it may find its audience, and Dick, over the holiday season, uh, 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 traditionally, these kinds of films can, can, do, can do pretty well as that adult audience uh, looks for something to uh, spend uh, Thanksgiving and Christmas holiday season with. Yeah, absolutely. I, I might have opened this picture a week from now and uh, avoided the Eternals opening weekend and moved it uh, maybe to the second or third weekend in November, uh, setting it up for uh, that important Thanksgiving play period. Yeah, ab absolutely, because again, this is a film that's likely to resonate with adult women, and, uh, you know, after Thanksgiving, they're, uh, they're suddenly available to uh, see a movie. So, uh, look, we'll keep an eye on it here at uh, Box Office Autopsy. But uh, uh, there were other things going on at the box office as well. And, you know, we always talk about the picture that's number one, and then maybe you lose track of it the next week. We don't want to do that in the case of Dune. Warner Brothers and Legendary have a, a big success in Dune. It's in weekend three now. Uh, it, it did just under $8 million. It was off only 51%. Uh, and to date, it's done about 84 million domestic and worldwide over 330 million. And uh, look, it's not quite a Marvel level of success, but that sounds pretty good to me. What, what do you think? Yeah, it's, uh, that, that was a good hold number. And I think, uh, again, in the upcoming weeks, I think it'll hold right in there. Uh, finishing, finishing third was the bond picture dropping only 22% at 6.2 million. So there is, there is life after your opening weekend after all. Well, indeed, and that's always good to see. So Dune, a very good-looking number two at the box office this uh, this weekend. And uh, speaking of the weeks upcoming, uh, as we always keep an eye on uh, what is uh, in the wings, so to speak, uh, next weekend there are two pictures opening that we will be talking about for sure. Uh, the uh, first one, which is the big wide release, is from Paramount and Scholastic Entertainment, and it is the animated PG comedy adventure Clifford the Big Red Dog, opening at about 3,400 theaters. Now, uh, let's before we talk about it, let's take a listen just to set the tone. This scene is called Emily Meets Clifford. Emily is voiced by Darby Camp, who people probably know from TV's Big Little Lies series. And uh, here she is when she first meets Clifford. This is it. There's no animals in here. That's right. You said you weren't looking for a pet. And we're not. So you won't be interested in him. My goodness. You're just the cutest thing I've ever seen. Look at you. He's so cute and, and so tiny. And so red. I love that he's red. <laughs> How did he get that way? I don't know. I think he's lost his family, so he's a little confused. Poor guy. 
I'll be your family. No, you will not. Please, Uncle Casey. He's so tiny, he wouldn't bother anyone. Mr. Bridwell, how big is he going to get? Well, that depends, doesn't it? On what? On how much you love him. That's Emily meets Clifford from Clifford the Big Red Dog, opening next week. Now, Dick, one of the uh, things that I think may hold this picture down is the fact that it's day and date streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Yes, yes. Uh, unfortunately, uh, they're continuing with with uh, moving in that direction, although we, we do believe Paramount will get off of this next year, but at least in the short term, uh, they're going to do that. And I, I'm just real concerned about uh, family pictures at this time, I think they're the last to come back in the pandemic. Well, you know, the question is, will parents take their kids to theaters? Well, now uh, now kids are uh, eligible to be vaccinated for COVID, and maybe that will make a, uh, a difference, too. Uh, it, it's obviously uh, way too soon to uh, be able to answer that. Uh, but we'll have to keep an eye on it. Uh, and uh, over at Paramount, uh, needless to say, they've got to build Paramount Plus up. It's not really competitive with the uh, the giants, certainly not with uh, Disney Plus or Netflix or Amazon, uh, and uh, not even with HBO Max. So, uh, so there's a lot to do. But look, there's another film opening next weekend, and that's a very different film coming back as we were talking about the specialty market, this is the movie from Focus Features, Belfast. It's a uh, PG-13 drama. The director is Kenneth Branagh, who's known for uh, both directing and acting. Uh, he, he was uh, one of the actors uh, starring in Tenet, by the way, uh, and he directed for Marvel Thor back in 2011. This movie, Belfast, has been a Best Picture contender uh, since uh, September when it won the People's Choice Award at the Toronto Film Festival. So the challenge here, Dick, is getting the older adult specialty cinema audience to turn out. Now, we're not talking about families here. What do you think the prospects may be? Well, um, again, with uh, Spencer having a soft opening, Last Night in Soho having a soft opening, uh, maybe they picked a weekend here right before Thanksgiving that will give it an opportunity to uh, gross and get people's uh, attention. Uh, but we'll, we'll have to see on uh, Belfast and, uh, you know, is, is $5 million the outer edge of these types of pictures? Well... One good thing, at least it's not streaming day and date, so uh, that's a good thing. But look, we will be back again here next week on Box Office Autopsy. We'll let you know how the newcomers open, and of course, I'm sure we'll be talking about how Eternals holds up. We will see if indeed it is review-proof, if the uh, bad reviews catch up with it in, uh, in Weekend 2, if audiences decide they don't like it, or who knows, maybe audiences will continue to love it. Uh, but uh, whatever it is, we will tell you all about it. Until then, thanks for listening. Time now for our film flashback look at what was happening in Hollywood right around now, way back then. Let's set today's time travel dial for... 
November 10th, 2010. In an industry where anyone can claim to be an independent producer, Dino De Laurentiis was the real thing. Unlike so many others who spent decades seeking an Oscar, De Laurentiis, who died November 10, 2010, at 91, didn't take long to win. In 1957, he received the Best Foreign Language Film Oscar for producing, with Carlo Ponti, Federico Fellini's La Strada. De Laurentiis, who'd only started making movies in post-war Italy in 1946, won again in 57 for Fellini's Knights of Cabiria. Over the course of his long career, he produced or co-produced over 500 films, with 38 of them earning Oscar nominations. By the 1960s, he'd gone from making Italian arthouse movies to producing mainstream Hollywood-type films in Italy. That led to opening his own studio, Dino Cita, or Dino City, in 1964 in Rome, where Cina Cita Studios had been Italy's famous dream factory since 1937. Among his international productions, before moving to America in 1976, where ten years later he became a U.S. citizen, were the 1966 James Bond spoof, Kiss the Girls and Make Them Die, the 1968 sci-fi comic book fantasy Barbarella with Jane Fonda, and 1972's Godfather-style crime drama The Volacci Papers from Dr. No director Terence Young with Charles Bronson. Filmmaking conditions in Italy in the early 70s led to De Laurentiis selling Dino Cita and setting up a U.S. distribution relationship with Paramount that resulted in hits like 1973's Serpico with Al Pacino, Death Wish in 74 with Charles Bronson, 1976's King Kong remake with Jeff Bridges, and the 1979 disaster epic Hurricane with Mia Farrow. Other high-profile titles followed, including 1980's Flash Gordon remake for Universal and 1983's horror film based on Stephen King's The Dead Zone, for Paramount. De Laurentiis went on to produce the first Hannibal Lecter thriller, Manhunter, released in 1986 through his own De Laurentiis Entertainment Group. He didn't make the sequel, The Silence of the Lambs, which won the Best Picture Oscar in 1992, but he did produce two other sequels, Hannibal in 2001 and 2002's Red Dragon as well as the 2007 prequel, Hannibal Rising. Of course, not every De Laurentiis film worked. One that he executive produced that fizzled badly at the time was David Lynch's Dune in 1984. Made for a then-costly $40 million, it grossed only about $31 million worldwide and was happily forgotten until, just recently, when the success of Denis Villeneuve's Dune suddenly reminded us of the original. And that's it for today's podcast. Thanks for listening. We'll be back with another box office autopsy next week. 
In Hollywood for Screen Dollars, I'm Martin Grove.